Now is the time to accelerate innovation. T-Mobile for Business is powering Formula One Las Vegas Grand Prix operations and epic fan experiences with secure, reliable 5G connectivity. Because an event this big and this fast deserves a network that can set the pace. See what our 5G advanced network solutions can do for your business at T-Mobile.com slash now. View 5G device coverage and access details at T-Mobile.com. Whether it's your first time betting or you've been gambling for years, have a plan and know the game. Be aware of the rules and odds before you gamble. Set a budget and never gamble with money you can't afford to lose. Take a break and consider teaming up with trusted friends to help you stick to your budget. Remember, if you or a loved one has a gambling problem, call 1-800-GAMBLER 24-7 or go to helpmygamblingproblem.org for free confidential services. You can rent a car, a house, even that little black party dress. So why not rent the stuff you need for your home too? The place to do it is errands. Choose from thousands of new products from the brands you love, online or in store. Pick a payment plan that fits your budget and pay a little at a time until it's yours forever. But if life changes, you can return it anytime or even upgrade it with something new. Rent what you need. It's better at errands. Approval not guaranteed. Restrictions apply. See store for details. Introducing the first ever Grand Highlander, a mid-sized SUV with the ideal combination of space, performance, style, and advanced tech. The roomy Grand Highlander boasts three spacious rows with available seating for up to eight. It's available 362 horsepower. Hybrid Max powertrain on limited and platinum trims delivers the power, acceleration, and efficiency so your family can take on any adventure. There's even a standard digital key, a panoramic view mirror, and a 12.3-inch multimedia touchscreen so you always arrive on time. Live life grander in the first ever Toyota Grand Highlander. Learn more at toyota.com slash Grand Highlander. Your getaway with Apple Vacations begins the moment you step on board one of our exclusive nonstop vacation flights. Escape the ordinary with packages starting at just $599. No layovers, just pure relaxation from takeoff to touchdown. Immerse yourself in the joy of travel with Apple Vacations. Your journey is as enchanting as the destination, so pack your bags and leave the rest to us. Visit AppleVacations.com or call your local travel advisor to book your vacation. And now, Move the Sticks with Daniel Jeremiah and Bucky Brooks. What's up, everybody? Welcome to Move the Sticks, presented by Zaxby's DJ Bucky back with you here. Happy Election Day and uh, happy trade deadline. I guess it all kind of comes at the same time, Buck. It all comes at the same time. Really exciting day when you think about, um, I mean, look, Election Day, the number of uh, players that are taking an interest in voting is encouraging, uh, taking part in the civil process, the civic duty rather the electoral process and then the trade deadline is always exciting because this year more than any other year we may get a lot of movement and i think that is exciting for us just because it means that we get to talk about players changing teams but more importantly what kind of draft currency could come back yeah i'm gonna go out on a limb and say as we're recording this there's nothing really happening but either while we're recording this or maybe 10 minutes after we stop recording this something crazy will happen uh, so if you don't hear us talking about the crazy thing that happened, I just want to be up front and let you know. We haven't heard about it yet. That's why you haven't heard us talk about it. Uh, yeah, it's one of those things. It should be an exciting time, though, because some of the big names that we are hearing, like there's been the conversation about Stefan Gilmore being moved around and, and, and stuff like that. So I'm curious to see what happens at the end of the day. And if those guys are moved, 
what kind of value do they bring back in return? Because then that sets the market for future transactions when we see these big name guys uh, moved and traded at later dates. Well, Buck, you know, we always say like a veteran move, like a savvy veteran move. I'm about to bust out a savvy veteran move right now since we've been doing uh, this podcast for quite some time. Nabil can probably tell us here. Nabil, how many how many episodes have we done on this podcast? Total 606. I'm pretty 606. Sure. Oh, wow. That's a lot. We didn't, even, we didn't even have an anniversary for 600. To be yeah, where, where, was the, the where was the surprise party? At 300, we had balloons and a cake and everything else. 600, we, we, did. Did, we, would get, we would get double that. We should have had a Zoom party. Yeah, yeah exactly. I'll bring the water, you know. Uh, Mark's, Mark's fallen on the sword. Mark's jumped in the chat here and fallen on the sword. Uh, we forgive you, Mark. It's okay. We'll, we'll, we'll be fine. Uh, but with 600 plus episodes comes experience. And so what I was getting at, Buck, is we're going to talk about some of these trades that have taken place and maybe what could happen. Let's move that to the back of the episode. So in case something does pop up while we're talking about some of this other stuff, we can hit it then. Is that cool? Yeah, that works. All right, let's let's jump into what we saw with the game last night with uh, with the Giants and the Bucks. Um, first of all, just big picture takeaways, and then I want to get into Daniel Jones and uh, and the turnover issue because I did a little homework on that. Uh, big picture takeaway: um, Look, Thursday, two Thursdays ago, we did the Giants and the Philadelphia Eagles, and I think we both came away impressed with how hard the Giants play. And when you tell a team that plays hard it always gives them a chance to be in the game because their effort and energy sometimes can overwhelm or outmatch, exceed their talent. And with the Giants, because they play what I say is a very simple scheme, they do a really good job, particularly on defense, it um, it can make you play an ugly game because they play hard, they're a physical team, they have shown um, a picture for being fairly disciplined and they make you work to get everything down the field. And so... They played a Tampa Bay team that was far more talented than them, but they made it an ugly game and they were able to get the game on their terms. And so I was really impressed with the coaching job that Joe Judge did. I was impressed with both plans on offense and defense because they had the game basically exactly where they wanted until the turnovers kind of got them out of sorts. And then on Tampa's end, I think it's easy to get caught up in the Tom Brady thing and to get caught up in like this team should throw it all over the yard. But this is really a team that is driven by their defense and their ability to play what I call opportunistic scoring offense. The defense gets a turnover, gives them a short field. Tom Brady doesn't miss out on cashing in on lottery tickets, and that's how they beat you. And so um, there had been the conversation that this was far and away the best team in the NFC. Uh, in the NFC. You're not buying I'm not that? Quite, I'm not quite sure that they're the best team. I think they may have the best opportunity to win it, but I'm not convinced that they're the best overall team uh, in the conference. Yeah, my thing on Tampa, look, I love uh, I love their front seven. Um, I love uh, the the skill position pieces they have on offense. I think the offensive line's really good. Overall offense, I don't really have any uh, issues with them, and I love their front seven. I just think when you see the premier quarterbacks, you're going to pay for some of those sins on the back end that Daniel Jones wasn't able to make them pay for. And uh, look, I saw Herbert and doing that game against the Chargers. Herbert diced them up down the field. There's big plays to be had if you can hang in there and protect and uh, and get your shots down the field. So I just look at that Bucks team and I think of the quarterbacks you're going to face going through the NFC gauntlet there in the postseason. And that worries me a little bit. I mean, there's some talent in that youth in the back end, but that worries me. Yeah, because matchups are everything, right? And I think when most people think about the top quarterbacks, the first teams that come – to mind will be the Green Bay Packers and the New Orleans Saints. But that's not the team that I think gives them problems. I think the teams like a Seattle who has a mobile quarterback like yep. Russell Wilson, a team like the Arizona Cardinals with a guy that can scoot like Kyler Murray. To me, 
those are the teams that are more likely to give them problems because their quarterbacks can do so much other stuff. And even though Aaron Rodgers could do that in the past, we saw the Tampa Bay Buccaneers beat them up and his mobility wasn't necessarily a factor. And talking to a coach about the Tampa Bay Buccaneers defense, he told me this and I never thought about it. A lot of times you would think that you blitz because you have good play in the back end. He told me they blitz because they don't have good play in the back end. So they're bringing the pressure to make you force the ball out. And they're saying that your quarterback can't make good decisions under duress. And so that's why they take chances because you're right, DJ. There were plenty of opportunities for the New York Giants to hit them over the top. But when your quarterback is getting hit in the face, you just can't get to it. So it will be interesting to see a team that can protect or a quarterback who is able to extend plays if they can dial them up and make them play for the big plays. Uh, no doubt. Uh, and when we look over at the other side with the Giants, I'm going to get to the quarterback here in just a minute. But defensively, I was talking to a coach that had played against this Giants front, and he said, an offensive coach, and said, look, when you look at Dalvin Tomlinson and Dexter Lawrence, those are real dudes, and they are guys you can build a defense around. Leonard Williams is playing well. The only thing they don't have is they just don't have any edge rushers. So if they can in the draft and they look like they could be picking way up there, if they decide they're comfortable with the quarterback situation, don't have to go there, man, if you could get a big time edge rusher to pair up with what they have with these other guys inside that can be power players, this could be a really, really dominant front, which would set us up in this division. It's kind of, it'd be fun because you've got kind of the Eagles and, and the uh, Cowboys kind of a little bit older with their fronts, talented, but a little bit older. Fletcher Cox, Brandon Graham, you know, yeah. Lawrence, those guys are getting a little bit older. And then now you have Washington coming with their young front, and then you could have the Giants coming with another really good young front. And when you go back and you really think about the NFC East and the legacy of the NFC East going all the way back to when we were kids, that's why the, how the division was won. It wasn't because of the offense. It was because of the teams that had the physical defenses. Um and so when I look at the Giants, it's funny that you said it because I was watching them try out their starting lineup. And DJ, I was like, they're almost playing with like three nose tackles. Like they have three big dudes, three 300 plus pounders up front. And then they're kind of sprinkling stuff in around them. And so either in free agency or in the draft, I think they should try and get two guys that can rush the passer and kind of get after the quarterback. Because if you're going to be, a three-man front and either a 3-4 defense or when you go to nickel, you're going to be a 3-3-5 three, three, defense. I think you got to have multiple guys that you can throw at people off the edge or you have to be committed to really utilizing slot pressures like the Pittsburgh Steelers and some of the other teams are doing this year where you have a dynamic nickel player that can blitz and rush and do some of those things that you need to have a fifth rusher do. Yeah, it's going to be interesting to see how they build the team. It's weird because – this is a one in seven football team. They're competitive. They're in. They're in every game. They play hard. Um, you can see there's there's a future here. Now, the elephant in the room is whether or not you've got the right quarterback. And so yeah. I, I've seen the turnover numbers, and everybody saw them all on the broadcast through Daniel Jones for two years. He's got a ton of turnovers, and this year, um, with the interceptions, you know, combined with still having some fumble issues. Um, so I want to do a couple things here to take kind of a holistic view. I'm going to go back and I'm going to read you my college report on Daniel Jones. OK, I want to mm -hmm. get your feedback on that and see how that jives with what we've seen. And then I went back and charted all his picks this year, Buck. And so I want to break those down for you and get your thoughts on that as well. You ready? Cool. Yeah. All right. Here we go. Jones, outstanding size for the position. He was 6'5", 221. Always under control, throws from a firm platform as a passer, relies more on touch than power. Throws with anticipation underneath and puts plenty of loft on the deep ball, dropping them in the bucket. 
He's more accurate than his stats would suggest. Clear completion percentage of 59.9. Jones suffered from a lot of drop passes at Duke. He's very athletic on design QB runs, but he lacks urgency to consistently escape when pressured. He's shown the ability to read the full field, but he was forced to hold the ball at times because his weapons failed to separate. He showed his toughness by playing through injuries this past fall. Overall, Jones lacks elite arm strength, but he has a nice blend of size, toughness, and football smarts. So that, so that's the report there. What do you pull out of that? Well, I mean, I, I think all those things are true, DJ. Like, I, th- I think he does have size, toughness. He does have the smarts. I think we were given access to him in a little different vein when we did the 360 on him. And you heard people talk about him. You heard his preparation. You liked all of the intangibles that he brought. You liked the athleticism that he brought. But you, you did wonder when the game sped up, would he have the ability to speed up his processing and get the ball out? And I think what happens is now that the book is out on him about pressure, until he is able to look pressure in the face and defeat it, he's going to continue to get it. And I don't know if, and this goes back to that conversation that we had with Joe Montana, I don't know if you can teach a young quarterback poise. Mm-hmm. I, I, I don't know how you can acquire that. Like, yeah, you can get some of that by game action and game reps. Like you get acclimated to the speed of the game. But I don't know how you quicken his clock. And if you do, man, your play caller has to be on point all the time to guess right when the defense is blitzing. And I think that puts a lot of pressure on the play caller. Well, you mentioned Joe Montana. If you haven't listened to that episode, I would encourage you guys to go back and listen to it because we asked him for the definition of poise. And he said it's when preparation meets concentration. I don't have any doubts whatsoever that the preparation part has been that box has been checked for Daniel Jones. He's been prepared to come into the game. I think, though, that as a young player, I I think sometimes you are not in the concentration mode you need to be in from. In other words, every single down is full focus to make good decisions, to be smart with the football. That is something you have to reset every single snap because you can do it for 20 snaps in a row. But the 21st snap, you lose your concentration and then you get yourself in a mess. And, And I went back and charted those turnovers. You talked about pressure. And I went back and, and uh, charted Carson Wentz as well as Kirk Cousins because I wanted to compare them. These are the top three guys in terms of interceptions. So when I look at Daniel Jones, and I'm you know as a as a quarterback, I'm always going to be a little bit forgiving on ones that I might be able to put on somebody else. Okay, so I, I took two of the interceptions, and I put one was a wide receiver s- slipped, and the other one was a tip ball. So I'm going to wipe two of them off of his ledger at the top. So those two are gone. So that means we've got. Gosh. So the, the interesting thing about this program, too, is so he has nine picks, I believe, right on the year. Is that correct? Yeah. So one of them was called back because then when I ran the cut up, I got 10 plays. So one of these is, was an interception that was called back. But for all intents and purposes, I'm going to go off this 10 number. So you had three of them that were forced. So those were more vision issues, just forcing the football. OK, that's just and that that kind of goes a little bit into the decision making. I'll, I'll You can categorize that poor decision, forcing the ball. Um, and didn't see it clearly. Five, though, the remaining five, all under heavy pressure. So that's the bulk of it. And you said it, you know, it's, it's when you're under pressure. So you've got five and it's not giving up on a play. When everything's crowded around, you take the sack, throw the ball away. It's mm-hmm. just not giving up on a play. And I think some of that is, you look, you play at Duke and you have to, you know, some of the hero ball stuff's going to come into it because you've yeah. got to try and make every play. You're constantly under pressure and you're trying to, you know, you've got to be able to put up points or you're not going to be able to win games. And he, you've got to somehow get that out of him. But that to me is at least encouraging because I, I want to go through Wentz and Cousins here real quick just to give you a, a feel of that. So Wentz, three of them were decisions. 
So just poor decisions. One of them I'm going to throw away was a fourth and 20. Okay, it's a fourth and 20, just throwing it up down the field. So I'm going to wipe that one off. You've got – so and then you also have three tips in wide receiver errors. So one, the wide receiver just didn't come back to the ball. So I'm going to throw out – I'm actually going to throw out four of Wentz's, three on, on tips and wide receivers, one on a fourth and 20. So watch those four away. But he's got three poor decisions. So just forcing the ball, poor decisions. But here's the big one, Buck five inaccurate throws mm. so you're seeing it you're th- you're throwing the ball where it's, it's a good spot to throw it i don't have a problem with where you threw it you just were inaccurate yeah that's different that's different i think it's easier and 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 when you're looking at daniel jones and some of his issues there to say hey when you're getting when everything's collapsing around you and you're under pressure it's okay take a sack throw the ball away that's fine i think it's actually a little bit easier to coach that out of him than, than some of the issues Wentz is having this year. I'm not going back to Wentz has played well in the past, but just this year, the accuracy thing, that that's that's what troubles me. Yeah, I mean, I think I think that is troubling. And it's troubling because I, I, I'll talk about it from a defensive standpoint. On defense, you're taught, um, particularly if you're a team that plays a lot of zone, is, hey, we're going to get our interceptions off tips and overthrows. And what you're banking on is the pass rush is going to force an errant pass and the ball is going to be elevated. It's either going to be tipped, deflected at the line of scrimmage, or we're going to pick it because it's just an errant toss. And I think Carson Wentz's issue is not that it's even errant from the, the pocket. It's he is rolling right oh, yeah. and trying to throw all the way back across the field or those things. And so it is troubling. And I think it's troubling for a guy who has been in the league for a while. Like he is no longer – like Daniel Jones is 20 games in. We talk about – you got to give a quarterback 32 games. You got to give him two full seasons to really be able to evaluate it. Daniel Jones still has time to improve and kind of shake off some of those. But now when Carson Wentz, his game is almost settled in concrete. Like how much is that going to change? And man, the the lack of accuracy and the errant throws that we've seen from him this year, to me, I've heard you talk about like his footwork, the wide base, those things. Like, can we get him back to a point where his muscle memory puts him in a consistent base where he makes consistent throws and those things? Maybe we can, but it's really troubling that he's had so many inaccurate throws. And week after week, we're talking about the same kind of interceptions. Yeah, look, I just said he just needs to go to the body shop and get realigned, right? Just just get realigned because I've seen him be accurate. I've seen him play at a very high level. And people go, oh, you got to go back to 2017. No, you go back to 2019. Carson yeah. played well last year, 27 and 7. Uh, touchdowns, interceptions, and, and was playing with a, a whole host of different guys as they were trying to break guys in. Uh, let, let's go to Cousins because I mentioned him as well. So Cousins, uh, Cousins has 10 picks. So here's how these break down. I'm going to wipe three off, okay? Yeah, this is, I always think this is funny because a lot of people, when they just throw out these numbers, you've got to put them in context. So of his 10, two of them are Hail Marys. Oh, okay. Wipe those off. And then you have one tip. So I'm going to wipe three off of his list. But you end up having three for decisions, four decisions, four for accuracy. So similar to Wentz and that know where you want to go with the ball, just not throwing it accurately. And that can be a mechanical thing that you can you, you can work on and try and clean up. But I, I just think with Wentz and Cousins accuracy issues with Daniel Jones under pressure and dealing with pressure. So it's you can look at these numbers almost look identical. Right. But the issues are totally different. Yeah, completely different. And I think for Daniel Jones, um, I'll be honest with you. I don't like the things that he's had around him the last two years. Like if his no. best player is Darius Slayton. Uh, a fifth round pick. I don't think that is enough to really do a full evaluation on him. You know, 
I mean, I, I think nice you have three. to nice third receiver. Yeah, yeah, but I think you have to give him know. a big time dude. Everyone loves what Justin Herbert is doing, but I think it also helps when you know in a pitch, man. I got a dude outside in Keenan Allen who can win. Yeah. I can at least hit a layup by knowing, hey, you know what? We need to get him settled. Let's call something to 13 because 13 more times than not is going to get open and give him a completion. For Daniel Jones, he has none of that. Like he doesn't have a big-time receiver and he doesn't have a big-time running back out the backfield that can consistently win and catch balls. And so the dilemma that you have if you're the Giants, man, if you're sitting up there in the top five, right, and we talk about three quarterbacks being in there. So you got Trevor Lawrence, Justin Fields, and Trey Lance. Yeah. You have to weigh what you've seen from Daniel Jones and what you think he could be versus what you think these other guys can be. Man, that is a very, very tough decision based on how those guys have played in college. You know, I, there's two things, two, two names, right? You have to figure this out. You don't want to you you don't want to hang on to Blake Bortles and pass up on all those other top guys. And then you also, you don't want to, you know, you we saw it both ways. The Jags hung on to Blake Bortles and the Arizona Cardinals punted on Josh Rosen. So you have to find out what Daniel Jones, is he Josh Rosen or Blake Bortles, or is he somebody else that, you know, hey, we can we can build around him. I, I, I will say this. I'm not, I'm not offering a verdict at this point in time. I want to see more. We've got a lot more of the season left. I would say based off of last year, I was pretty darn encouraged. I think Daniel Jones played better last year, even with the fumble issues. I know he had a bunch of fumbles, but I thought he played better last year than we ever saw from Josh Rosen or Blake Bortles. Would you agree with that? Yeah, I think now I, th- I think so. I think he's had better he's had better moments. He's had more moments than both of those guys have had. Yeah. I think with Blake Bortles, the entire offensive game plan was about how can we minimize his impact? How can, hide him? how can we hide him? Yeah. And I think with Daniel Jones, I think they have put him in a position where he has made plays. And DJ, his his athleticism, like because as bad as those interceptions were, like the second interception was bad, right? He comes right back and orchestrates a two-minute drill, drops a dime for a touchdown, and has them in a position to convert a two-point conversion. Now, people are talking about the PI. I will simply say, Man, if he just lets it go on early, time, wide open. I mean, and that's, that, you do that. You run that play every week. That's you know, in college, it was every Thursday, right? Those are that's I mean, like your two point play. You've run that a million times. I mean, I'm looking at it. I'm like, they go to a four by one formation. I'm like, this is a seven on seven play. Yeah, yeah. Like, if you get any movement, just drop it to him. Mm-hmm. It's 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 a conversion, Easy. and so just letting it go. And I think maybe he was a little bit snake bitten by the two turnovers that he wanted to make sure it was open before he let it go. But that should have been a conversion. But I give him credit because the resiliency that he showed coming back from those bad turnovers, to me, speaks volumes about him as a playmaker. And look, let's give him time. Let's give him enough time at the end of the season before we make a decision. But I think it's one of those evaluations that you have to have a real objective evaluation and you have to go into it without thinking about the end in mind. You have to let all 16 games play out. You have to look look at all the tape and then – Take that and compare it to Justin Fields and Trey Lance and then make a decision. All right. I wanted to be fair to Blake Bortles. So I went back and pulled up his numbers because I was like, okay, I want I, I say that just flippantly. He's been he's what he's done is better than anything we saw from Blake Bortles. Blake Bortles, man, he had some interesting years. Like in uh in 2015, he had 35 touchdowns, right? That's the big number. Threw for 4,400 yards, 18 picks. Uh the next year, 23 touchdowns, 16 picks. 
then 21 touchdowns, 13 picks. I mean, that is a boat boatload of, uh, of <laughs> but, but you know, and I, 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 I never, we never really bought in I, there. You know, context, context matters. So how many of those, that big season, how many of those 300 yards, how many of those uh, yards of that 4,400 yard season were in meaningful playing time? Like, were they chasing? Were they playing against soft defenses? Because that was a five and 11 year. <laughs> right. So, so was he eating a, a bag of potato chips and a lot of empty calories? Or was he really having a, a meal that we, and we so could say? Good year. So they're good year, right? 10 and six. That was 2017. Um, that was the AFC championship year, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, so that year he was uh, 3,600 yards, only completed 60% of his passes. 3,600, uh, 21 touchdowns, 13 picks. And another thing about Daniel Jones is Blake Bortles can move around a little bit, but Daniel Jones is a much better athlete. Much better athlete. I mean, much better athlete. He's shown that he can make make plays, whatever. I think the big thing for him is something, and I said this, and I said it with Jay Cutler, and Jay Cutler was never able to shake it. When Jay Cutler played at Vanderbilt, he had to do so much. And so I say you never really learn how to play winning football, meaning how to manage the game in a winning fashion. Hey, let's look at time and score. Oh, you know what? I can, I can check this one out or I can throw this one away because the game is at hand. When you're playing at Duke and you don't have a bunch of A-level players around you, you're playing at Vanderbilt, you don't have that. You're conditioned to, I got to do all this by myself. I can't trust the defense. I can't give it back to the other team via punt because I know we can't stop them. And you just have to keep working with him to teach him how to manage the game and understand where we are at the game and what we can do and what we probably should scale back on. When you got the green light, when it's a a yellow light situation, and when it's a red light. Like he has to understand that part of it. All right, I got a question for you because I just got a text from one of our mutual friends here. I'll I'll tell you who it is afterwards. But uh, he said, outside of Patrick Mahomes, he said, after watching all the tape this week, he said, outside of Patrick Mahomes, I would take – Joe Burrow over any young quarterback in the NFL. But I'm telling you, Buck, we've, we, we have to, we have to, mm-hmm. we have to adhere to our own principles, right? Like we have, you have your opinions. I have my opinions, but there's some show opinions. Like there's some opinions we've come together and we've yeah. shared and we agree uh-huh. and we've been preaching trucks and trailers, right? We've been preaching this for yep. five, seven years, however long we've been preaching this. Mm-hmm. Joe Burrow is a truck in year one. Yeah, DJ, it is it is remarkable. And here's the thing, and I think here's the lesson for all evaluators, right? What you think about somebody before they enter the league, it's okay to change your opinion after they get into the league. Because what you're doing before they get into the league is pure projection. Like you don't, you're not privy to where they're going, where they're going to go, who they're going to play with, what it's going to look like when they get there. It's a little more of a guesstimate. But once someone gets to the league, your job as an evaluator is to objectively look at how they're playing and to make your opinion on that. And good ones will admit, you know what? I was a little off on it because I, I was lower on Joe Burrow than some. But I will say this, in watching him, dude can deal. Like, yeah. he has it. And I think the best trait, and some of this is influenced by what we learned uh, during his journey on 360, super competitive, super hates tough. losing. Um, it's, it's the thing that we've always talked about. Like, there's some guys that if we're playing pickup basketball, you put them with whatever, they always stay on the court. To me, just Joe Burrow. 
you give Joe Burrow, is Joe Burrow plus four? He's going to find a way to stay on the court. When I look at them, the, Bing, the Bengals had no business beating the Tennessee Titans the other day with a, a, a completely revamped offensive oh, line yeah. due to injury. I mean, A.J. Green can't play anymore. He has Tyler Boyd and T. Higgins out there playing. I don't even know if Joe Mixon played because I think Giovanni Bernard played. And it doesn't matter. And so, DJ, some of the arguments that we get into well, – well, not you because you avoid arguments on Twitter. I get into <laughs> on Twitter – has to do with like the standard of expectation and what you expect when someone is taken at the top of the board. And so when you take Joe Burrow, number one, you're saying, hey, he is in our mind, a truck. He's going to get all the stuff right. And he's done that. And so, yeah, like, look, man, he is he is phenomenal. And they have really gotten a really good player. And it's going to be I mean, it's going to be really interesting to see how you build this team around him, because I think he has already made them. A competitive game. He's all, almost made them must t- must see TV because he he's gobbling up three hundred yard games like it's nothing. You know. You know what I would love to see them do is I would love to see them go out and get a big time tight end. Like think oh, about yeah. this. Think about this. Where they're picking, they could be. You know, let's let's say they're picking. You know, eight eight or nine. That Florida tight end. You, Ooh, plug, in, you plug him in. You plug yeah. in Pitts, Cal Pitts into that into that group with some of the receivers they have and Joe Mixon in the backfield. That would be fun. And see, so I run counter to this. I had an argument with somebody yesterday. Like right now, I'm going all in and I'm building the offense up around him. Before I start thinking about like the defense or whatever, I want to be great on one side of the ball. And my quickest opportunity to be great is to load up on this offense. So I got Joe Mixon. I have two receivers in Tyler Boyd and T. Higgins. I'm going to go get another receiver, another tight end. I'm going to see what I can do with this offensive line, either via free agency or the draft. And I'm going to make sure that when we step onto the field in 2021, as close as I can, I want to give him an LSU-like set of weapons so he can do exactly what he did at LSU. And then we will work on the defense on the fly. But I want this offense to be an A-plus offense. Yep, and let them grow together. Let them all yes. grow up together. So I, I'm with you on that front. All right, let's get to uh, some of these trades that we've seen here. Has anything uh, stood out to you in some of these guys changing places here? I thought – you know, Dunlap going to, to Seattle to try and fix their issues in, in the pass rush, to me, is probably the one that I think has a chance to be impactful. Yeah, I mean, I think that's that's the best one because, DJ, um, we've talked about it a little bit, but I said it. Jamal Adams was their best pass rusher prior to Carlos Dunlap coming. They were using Jamal Adams as a linebacker pass rusher for the Seahawks, the same way that he was being used for the Jets. And so he came in and gave them that, but he has missed the last three or four games. And so they hadn't been able to generate pass rush until the San Francisco 49ers game. Well, now when you bring Carlos Dunlap over, it gives them a legitimate four-man rush because you have a a designated rusher in him. You add Jamal to the mix, it gives you five. And then the way that you decide to use Bobby Wagner, because Bobby Wagner had two sacks against the 49ers, it now makes your defense a little more dynamic. And remember, this defense doesn't need to be lights out defense. This defense needs to be what I call an arena ball defense. We're playing for two or three stops a game. We're playing for two or three stops because Russell Wilson in that side is cooking. So let them go. We're playing to a you can have as many yards as you want to have between the 20s. We just want to make you kick field goals. If we can get a turnover or a stop miraculously during the game, that's a win for us. And I think that's how they have to play it. And so you just need to have enough guys that you can throw at 
the quarterback to knock him around and force him to make some bad decisions. Another one that was interesting, um, you had uh, Desmond King, who I see every week doing the Charger games, going from the Chargers to the Titans. Um, they're a little bit thin in the secondary, so I think they want to bring him in there. The interesting thing with Desmond King is in as an underneath zone defender, he's good. He's he's tough. He's physical. But the issues we had with his 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 play speed are legit. So mm-hmm. if you're going to put him in the slot, you got you you're not going to want to match him up too much and let him no. run around there. So DJ, for the longest time in the scouting industry, you heard everyone talk about like, oh, he's a Tampa two corner. Oh, this is a Tampa yeah. two corner. And what that means is really he's a zone corner who has speed limitations. And what Desmond King offered coming out of Iowa, his instincts and IQ gave him a chance to really overcome his lack of speed. So he has to play in a defense that allows him to do that stuff. So either he's in the middle of the field as what I think is a safety that you convert and teach him how to play safety, or Mm -hmm. he is a nickel corner in a defense that plays a lot of zone where he can have his eyes on the quarterback and he can go and make plays. He does have terrific return skills, so you have to account for that. But he's not a guy that can go and match up and play one-on-one with premier wide receivers. Maybe on occasion the number three, but in my mind, I think he can match up with the number four receiver. And what value do you get from a guy that matches up with the fourth best pass catcher? And so I think that's what you have to look at. That's what you have to understand. Yeah, we ran four six coming out, so four six flat. So that was that was a little bit of the concern. I remember at the Senior Bowl, yeah. uh, there's always these certain plays that stand out. Remember Cooper Cup went up against him on the first rep, right by him. I, I couldn't get that out of my head. Oh uh, no, and, and 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 that's and that's hard. And so if he ran four six when he was coming out of college, DJ, he's probably a four six five, four six seven, four seven old guy. You don't typically yeah. get faster in the pros, and so his ability to play for a long time would depend on his understanding of what defense he's in scheme and his understanding of offense. So he is a guy that is kind of like the the wise old man in the secondary that makes plays based on knowledge and know-how as opposed to just his natural talents. One other thing I'll add on the trade thing in, uh, you know, you had the Jets trading Avery Williamson, um, uh, traded uh, McClendon, the defensive lineman. They've collected 22 picks. So I thought it was interesting because they have all these extra picks in, in 21, that was actually pretty smart by Joe of saying, look, look I'm going to try and even though these are fifth, sixth round picks, but just getting you want to come into back to back drafts with double digit picks. So don't just you don't want to have 15 picks in one draft. You want to kind of balance that out a little bit. So I thought it was interesting. He's kind of building up that 22 war chest as well. You know, I think you have to. I, th- I think that's what you have to, to do, because we talked about it. The 2021 draft, we just don't know. It's such a crapshoot because it's, it's weird for the college prospects coming out. It's weird for the scouts that are trying to figure out how to evaluate them. I think you want to have enough. Um, ammunition to be able to go in 2022 when we hope things are more normal, that you can go and you can get good players. And I think for any evaluator in a rebuilding situation, the best thing that you can have are multiple options. You want to have multiple first round picks in multiple years. You want to have the ability to control the board because you have so much in the war chest that you can pick and choose and move around the board to get players that you deem to be blue chip players that can come in and play and make impact. And so to do that, you got to have, you have to have enough currency. Interesting thing about that as well is when you collect these fifth, sixth round picks and you look at uh, the Jets are going to be a really good salary cap situation going mm-hmm. forward. They're going to have a lot of space. So when you look at the cap, you know, not going up in the future and you look at teams being way over now, all of a sudden, you know, Calais Campbell went for a fifth round pick. 
you know, you, you're going to have a bunch of these bargaining chips here, too, that if as teams are trying to get underneath the cap and need to, to get rid of some good veteran football players, you, you, that, you can spin off one of those fifth or sixth. You'd be surprised what you might be able to get next year. Yeah, I mean, we, we've seen it. And especially because of, like you talked about, like the salary cap dumps and those things, you may be able to bargain basement shop, get some good players, cut some salaries down. Yep. Like when you get them on a, on a salary cap altered deal, yeah, it gives you an opportunity to do it. Because I think here's the other thing, too. It's a mix when you're doing the rebuild. You can't have too many young players because then the rebuild process takes too long. But yeah. you can't have too many old players and free agents because then you know great. exactly what you're getting. So it needs to be a mix. And what you want is maneuverability. You want the ability to evaluate what's out there. What do I need to get, whether it's a young player or an old player, what do I need to give up to get them and have enough that you can go and make some of those moves. Yeah, and I know in baseball you're going to see bargain basement uh, deals here because that they've uh, that that market's going to get flooded. You're seeing a bunch of players get non. You're going to see a bunch of players get non tendered um, and released. So you're going to have a huge market there. And I think in baseball it's been interesting because they're getting to their offseason before the NFL, and you're seeing what we have talked about that middle class, those five, six, eight million dollar players, done. Uh, either, done. Are you either real young uh, and cheap. Stars, stars, and, and babies. You got stars and babies. That's it, man. That, I mean, that. I mean, that, that's just the way that people are building it. And for the National Football League, it's been like that for a while. Um, I think what has prevented some of that is like people get their feelings in the way when it comes to make those hard decisions. But if if you're able to separate like your heart and your fondness for a player from the production and how you have to build it, you have to make some of these shrewd moves and you have to let people go. And I believe this, and this is a baseball thing. I would rather get rid of a good player a year too early than a year too late. Um, just because we've seen what happens. Like, man, when you retain a player and they come back and they can't play anymore, Oof. man, it, it it hurts you. Like, it hurts you. And I'm not going to keep piling on A.J. Green, but D.J., the Cincinnati Bengals are paying A.J. Green like, 18, like 16, 17, $18 million. They're getting minimal production. You think about what the Eagles are doing with Deshaun Jackson. Like, they have money tied into him and Alshon Jeffrey, and you're not getting any production out of them. And, look, it's not um, harsh or whatever, but if we we treat this like business, man, that's just a bad bad way to go. Yep, that's what it is. Um, Uh, I got something for you. I want to ask you this because, um, you know, like, the real world of the Twitterverse goes crazy, like, when when things are – so I heard – Rex Ryan on the show talk about how the scouting community completely messed up with DK Metcalf. Right. And he just said, like, he was just talking about scouts are guys who aren't coaches. Scouts don't basically, he just took a shot at a bunch of scouts or whatever. And so I just kind of want to have the conversation on like why we as scouts sometimes will either miss or downgrade a player based on what they did in college. And I'll sometimes like, look, it can be wrong. Um, So the DK Metcalf situation, like, what did you think about DK Metcalf when he was coming out? First of all, I love I love Rex. I, I work with Rex, and we get along great. But that's crazy. So, uh, for a couple of reasons. Number one, and I could even go back to show you where I had him. Um, I think he was my what, what year is this? The twenty nineteen draft, right, Buck? Mm-hmm. So I'll give you the exact number here. DK Metcalf was my twenty first overall player. I compared him to Marius Thomas. That's who. That's where I had him, and he was the sixty. What, I think he was 60. I think he was 60 or 60. Yeah, he, he, he was the 64th pick. Yeah. Okay. He was my 21st player. He was a 64th pick. So, and I had DK Metcalf even higher than that earlier in the process, but he still ended up in my as my 21st overall player. 
a way a lot of these organizations work at the beginning of the process, the scouts set the board. As you go through the process, the coaches come into the mix. Yes. And coaches are have more influence after the fact. So this whole notion that after the scouting combine where DK ran a slow three cone and he it was stiff, that the scouts pulled him down the board is such it's so ridiculous. It's so ridiculous because most of these organizations, the scouts don't have any juice at that point in time. They had him where they were at the beginning of the process. After that, you hand it off to your organization, and those are the guys who end up making that decision. And I can tell you from firsthand knowledge of talking to some teams about this, they had him in a good spot. And because of a neck issue, had had a neck injury, the medical personnel pulled him off the board or pulled him down the board. That was a big part of his drop. The other one was the coaches got involved and said, oh, he can't run our he can't run the route tree. So yes. we can't use him. He's just he's big, fast and stiff. And this is going to be Bashad Perriman 2.0. And it's it's, uh, you know, we can't use mm-hmm. him. So I would I would push back and say it was actually more coaching than it was scouting at that point the, time with his evaluation. So here's the other thing. How can you go all in on a player who wasn't the number one receiver on his own team? A.J. Brown was the number one receiver at Ole Miss. A.J. Brown has been a star in this league, too. But A.J. Brown was the one who was the the go-to player at Ole Miss whenever they needed anything. I think for D.K. Metcalf, I'm glad you brought up the injury because I think that gets swept under the rug. People don't understand how the medical part plays a role in the evaluation. I think the other thing that you brought up, D.K. Metcalf still doesn't run the entire route tree. You say that D.K. Metcalf reminds you of Marius Thomas, which I think is a great comparison. I would say that he reminds me a little bit of Terrell Owens, when Terrell Owens came in the league, when T.O. came Terrell, into the league. He's T.O. and David Boston's body. That's who he is. Yeah, I mean, like, he, he he's big, fast, and physical, but anyone who looks at him, he's a straight-line playmaker, meaning when we say straight-line route runners, like a big guy that runs like D.K. Metcalf runs, and this is where the three-cone comes into it. With D.K. Metcalf, what you want to do with a player like that is you don't want to ask them to stop and regenerate their speed all over again. So if you notice, when DK Metcalf runs routes, he typically only runs like three or four routes, and they're all on the move. He'll run a hitch at various lengths. He'll run a dig. He'll run a deep over. He'll run a post, a go, and sometimes he'll run a post corner. Those things typically don't ask you to stop, start, and regenerate your speed all over. And so he's able to do that. The Seattle Seahawks have done a great job of taking him where he was as a college player and only asking him to do a limited amount of things that play to his skill set. We talk about it in the scouting community, fit and scheme. How does a player's talents fit in our scheme? DK Metcalf's talents fit well in this scheme. And I can't confidently say that if we took DK Metcalf and put him with the Minnesota Vikings or put him with the San Francisco 49ers or the Arizona Cardinals, that he would have the same level of success because his game has some limitations when it comes to his route running ability. All right. I pulled up my report here. This now, cause I didn't know Rex said this. And I love Rex. I don't, I don't know why he would, but the other thing I have to give Rex a little bit of a benefit of the doubt here because Rex spent so much time in Baltimore where the scouts ran the draft. And so the scouts had more, more control. So I guess he's trying to blame it. I've got great stories on Rex too. I, I'll, I'll tell you one after I read this report. Okay. So here's my DK Metcalf report, Buck. Keep in mind what he's done stat-wise and how productive he's been, how great he's been, right? And tell me where the lie is as I go through this report. 
All right. Metcalf has a rare blend of size, speed, and athleticism. He's at his best on runaway routes, goes, slants, and posts. He explodes off the ball in his release and uses his big frame to wall off opponents on slants and vertical routes. He's a little choppy at the top of his route when he's working back to the quarterback. Metcalf makes some spectacular one-handed grabs, but he'll drop some passes due to lack of concentration. He's exceptional after the catch, breaking tackles and pulling away from defenders. Overall, Metcalf still has room to improve, but he's built like the Batman suit. He's extremely explosive and he's tough. He'll be a matchup nightmare for opposing teams as soon as he steps foot on an NFL field. He was fully cleared to participate in the combine, but did suffer a serious neck injury last season. And it's a concern anytime a player is coming back from that type of injury. Pre-draft medical checks figure to play a big role in his evaluation. Where's the lie? There, there isn't one. Like that's like that's the thing. Like, like DJ, so I'm I'm looking at the bill for the numbers, a three cone of seven three eight. Like anyone who has been in our industry when it comes to three cones and change of direction, like that's a high level of stiffness when it comes to like doing it. And I know like uh scouts get picked apart or chastised about the drills and why the drills and why there's so much of an emphasis on the metrics, but it just highlights like, Hey, he has a, a change of direction problem. Like he just doesn't change direction explosively or quickly when he has to go. And so when we talk about being a straight line player, the production that you talk about his final season, 569 yards, five touchdowns, like that's fine. Seven games, but he he's injured. And so how do you go all in when we seen in that conference, man, remember, he has been judged against the players that are also coming out of LSU and Alabama and all these other guys that we see come out of that league that are putting up ridiculous numbers. And I'll go back to the A.J. Brown conversation. A.J. Brown played on the same team, the same field with him opposite. And it was clear and apparent that he was the focal point, the number one receiver. And so sometimes as scouts and evaluators, man, it's hard to say that a guy who is the second receiver on his college team is going to come in and be our number one receiver. Like you kind of peg them as they've been deployed. So I had, I had uh, DK is 21. He went 64. I had AJ Brown is 36. He went 51. So you can make, and, and, and so I felt good about that. The fact that I was much higher on both those guys and where they ended up getting picked, but you can make a case that AJ Brown was a worse miss just mm-hmm. from the standpoint of he didn't have any of those health issues and still didn't go to the 51st pick. And he's been outstanding. He's been outstanding. And I think part of like part of like that, and I, I'll tell you, like having known AJ since he was in high school, I think part of it was he's still kind of a like he's a thicker kid to be like six foot six one. Like he's a big, I mean, rocked up or whatever. And I worried about I know he ran in the four fours. I think he ran the four fours at the combine, but I didn't necessarily think he played fast. And to me, he's been a bit of a revelation in Tennessee, um, the way that he he plays in terms of his ability to run after the catch. Because I don't know if we saw that consistently at Ole Miss. I don't know if we saw him like, man, he's one of the the leading yak leaders uh, since he's entered the league in terms of like his ability to break tackles and do those things or whatever. And so, look, man, it's an inexact science. It's a lot easier when you're evaluating pros already playing at the pro level versus evaluating college players that you project because the thing that you can't predict is where are they going where are they going to go and how are they going to be utilized and that impacts a lot of how people perform all right so i, I promise you one rec story and i and i love Rex. but there was a uh, there was a year where we had needed a safety we needed another safety i think we had just lost will demps 
to Houston and free agency. So we got Ed Reed, obviously the Hall of Famer back there, but we need another safety. So we had our list. We had our board. Well, the way the board was stacked, we had kind of, kind of like a clump of safeties. Then there was a gap and then there was the next group. So he he was adamant we had to get one of these guys in this clump. Well, the way the board fell, we ended up having somebody else in another position, higher rated. So we ended up not taking a safety at this point in time, the third, fourth round, whatever it was. And uh, Rex is not in the draft room. So he comes into the draft room after the last safety in that original clump was gone and said, I don't have I can't I don't have a safety. I don't have anybody to line up. And so he took like the card off the off the board and threw it on the ground. It was like a big he made like a big scene. It was like a big deal about how what are we going to do? What are we going to do? And then ironically, I believe it was the sixth round. No, it was the uh, fifth round. So in our next clump of safeties, we ended up taking Dewan Landry. Uh, if you remember him, remember LaRon Landry, this is his brother. Yeah, Dwight. big arms. Yeah, big arms. So we took him in the fifth round um, after Rex had been so adamant that we you know, wouldn't be able to line up and play with anybody. Uh, and he uh, he started for us for however many years. He was with the Ravens for, for five years. And then Rex signed him with the Jets when he was with the Jets uh, as the head coach a few years later. So it was just kind of funny that, yeah, it worked out okay. You know, like we have – this is how you trust the board. You go off the board, get the highest rated players. You'll be fine. But it was like we weren't going to be able to line up. Like the Baltimore Ravens, we've got Hall of Famers all over our defense. But if we did not get this one safety, we were not going to be able to line up in the defense uh, was kind of what was intimated. It was like, yeah, we're, we're fine. We'll be okay. Uh, so I mean, but, but that's how – I mean, that's how coaches are. And I think that's why you have to be careful. It always has to be a delicate balance in the room because we have seen – um, coaches typically, and it's funny that Rex would take that stand on the show that I, I watched him on. Coaches want the right now product. Like mm-hmm. coaches typically don't want anything, anything where you have to refine it or develop it a little bit. They typically want no parts of it. They want the thing that is ready made right out the box, no instructions. Let's put him right on the field and he can go play and he can be an all-star. It is rare that you find coaches that are like, hey, coach, he can't do this, he can't do that, he needs some development. And they're like, oh, cool, cool, sign me up, I can get him ready. Yeah. Nope, they don't want to waste their time. And so it is always funny when we do that. And I don't think, like, how's when we do the DK Metcalf work out? How does it work out historically for all those teams where the head coach has the personnel power? How does that work out in the draft traditionally? It doesn't. No. It doesn't work out well. It's rare that you have the ability to be a great X and O's tactician and also be a great personnel evaluator like for all of the great things that bill belichick has been able to do in his career if you go back and look at his drafts his drafts have not been stellar and it's one of the reasons why the patriots are currently sitting in the situation that they're in because they they i won't say they've blown a lot of draft picks but they've misevaluated a lot of guys that they were expected to be uh key contributors early in early in their careers all right. Any uh, anything else? We we tried to see if we could hold on. We get a trade during this podcast, but it did not happen. So uh, anything else you want to get before we get out of here, Buck? No, that's good. You've given me some stuff to talk about in the notebook. Do we get so. anything for the notebook this week? Yeah, we'll we'll, we'll kind of see we we'll kind of see what else what else we can do. I think the DK Metcalf and the Daniel Jones conversations are definitely going to be in the notebook. I always, I always feel that's like it's like writing a it's like writing a sketch for Saturday Night Live and thinking you might get a chance to get it in the show. So that that's big. Anything anytime we can anytime we can workshop something in here on the pod that makes it into the notebook, it fires me up. Uh, all right, Buck, let's let's uh, let's jump out of here again. Thank you guys so much uh, for hanging with us today. Fun conversation again. Always trying to learn a little something as we go along. 
Um, and look forward to being back on Thursday where our good buddy uh, Bruce Feldman is going to join us here. He's got a new book out uh, chronicling what happened at LSU. We're going to hit him up with some questions on Joe Burrow and Justin Jefferson and Patrick Queen, all those guys we've seen uh, play really well as rookies. So looking forward to catching up with Bruce on the next episode. That's going to do it for us. Thank you guys for listening. We'll catch you next time right here. Move the Sticks presented by Zaxby's. Whether it's your first time betting or you've been gambling for years, have a plan and know the game. Be aware of the rules and odds before you gamble. Set a budget and never gamble with money you can't afford to lose. Take a break and consider teaming up with trusted friends to help you stick to your budget. Remember, if you or a loved one has a gambling problem, call 1-800-GAMBLER 24-7 or go to helpmygamblingproblem.org for free confidential services. You deserve to treat yourself, so turn your tax refund into a U-Fund and give yourself a Straight Talk Wireless Extended Silver Unlimited plan and get a new Samsung Galaxy A14 on them. You can get a great everyday value on wireless with Straight Talk's Unlimited plan starting at $25 a line per month for four lines. You'll save so much, you'll be enjoying that refund all year long. It's the refund that keeps on refunding. Find Straight Talk at straighttalk.com or at your local Walmart store. Taxes and fees not included. Offer valid through 41424 while supplies last. Online only. Must purchase a Straight Talk Extended Silver Unlimited plan to qualify. Limit of five phones per customer. Family plan discount with four lines all on the Silver Unlimited plan. Not combinable with auto pay discount. You can rent a car, a house, even that little black party dress. So why not rent the stuff you need for your home too? The place to do it is errands. Choose from thousands of new products from the brands you love. Online or in store. Pick a payment plan that fits your budget and pay a little at a time until it's yours forever. But if life changes, you can return it anytime or even upgrade it with something new. Rent what you need. It's better at errands. Approval not guaranteed. Restrictions apply. See store for details. Your getaway with Apple Vacations begins the moment you step on board one of our exclusive nonstop vacation flights. Escape the ordinary with packages starting at just $599. No layovers, just pure relaxation from takeoff to touchdown. Immerse yourself in the joy of travel with Apple Vacations. Your journey is as enchanting as the destination, so pack your bags and leave the rest to us. Visit AppleVacations.com or call your local travel advisor to book your vacation. Introducing the first ever Grand Highlander, a mid-sized SUV with the ideal combination of space, performance, style, and advanced tech. The roomy Grand Highlander boasts three spacious rows with available seating for up to eight. It's available 362 horsepower. Hybrid Max powertrain unlimited and platinum trims delivers the power, acceleration, and efficiency so your family can take on any adventure. There's even a standard digital key, a panoramic view mirror, and a 12.3-inch multimedia touchscreen so you always arrive on time. Live life grander in the first-ever Toyota Grand Highlander. Learn more at toyota.com slash Grand Highlander.